Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Thanks for the Knowledge, Fanbytes Weekly News Show, rounding up the headlines in games and entertainment in one handy podcast. I'm your host, head of Fanbyte Media, John Warren. Hello, hello. Merry Christmas. If you celebrate, it is uh, the day after that, uh, day after Christmas that this uh, that this aired. Uh, I hope you had a good one. If that's something you celebrate, um, I'm going to guess mine was fine. I don't know. I'm talking to you from the past technically, but it's my future I'm speculating on. Isn't that weird? Anyway, I have a cool show for you today. It's not quite as jam-packed as last week's was. If you want to listen to last week's show, it was amazing. I had two interviews, one with the folks at Vodio Games that unionized. That was amazing. And the other with Nate Austin, one of the devs on Wildermyth. Go listen to that episode if you want like a ton of uh, really pertinent uh, conversation about the year in games. This one's going to be a little bit chill. I'm going to talk to you about the five biggest stories of the year. I'm going to talk to you about a little bit of news that happened this week. Um, and I would say I'd get you ready for what's coming up next week, but a lot, it really isn't. This is kind of the dead time of the year. Um, so just sit back, relax. Let me talk to you about some top stories. Let me talk to you about this year. Grab some cocoa, grab, grab some wassail and let's go. We are finally in that part of the year where the news is a little bit slow and that's okay with me. It's, it's really, it's time. It's time for a break. It's time to wind down. I'm going to run you through the top stories of this week. There aren't many to choose from and they're all pretty low key. So let's, let's just go through it. Um, Hades is 2020's fan bites game of the year. Um, it's a really amazing game from the folks at Supergiant. Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to play it, you should. It's really good. Uh, don't be scared off by the roguelike thing. There's an amazing story in there. The story and the writing is so good, it won a Hugo Award, which is a prestigious literary achievement in science fiction. Uh, they're held annually. They're a pretty big deal. They're usually very respected. Although this year they were uh, they were uh, sponsored by Raytheon, which is a little a little weird. But let's let's you know for the sake of this story, put that outside this room just for a second. You can go back to worrying about that in a little while, and I think you should because it's a little weird. But oh, let's just let's just put that out of the room. Uh, Greg Casavan was not able to attend the ceremony in person, uh, but gave a, a, a thank you speech over on his Twitter account. That's at Casavan. That's K-A-S. 
A-V-I-N. Um, it's great. Uh, he said, we are incredibly honored to be the first ever recipient of a Hugo Award in the category of best video game. We grew up experiencing these classic works of science fiction and fantasy from Ursula K. Le Guin to Philip K. Dick, and that's when we first came across the Hugo Award's name as kids. So, to have earned this distinction all this time later, especially alongside such an incredible slate of nominees of all shapes and sizes, teams big and small, it really means the world. Uh, if you want to see his full quote, you can, again, go, go, uh, uh, see his video over on his Twitter account. Um, Hades is amazing. Uh, they've expanded the, uh, the Hugos have expanded their, uh, awards to include video games and, and, uh, Hades was the first winner of this category. Um, very, very cool. I think it's, uh, I think it's deserved. That game does have incredible writing and it is very good. Again, it is fan by its 2020 game of the year. If you haven't played it, you can play it over on PC switch and it's now on, uh, every other console. So that's, uh, you've got like no excuse at this point. So Go play Hades. It's really good. Speaking of amazing video games from 2020, Final Fantasy VII Remake. That's a really good game. Why am I talking about it? Well, if you recall earlier this year, back in March, uh, that game was on PS Plus. And if you grabbed it while it was on PS Plus, uh, you were just kind of out of luck for your PS5 upgrade. You were just going to have to pay for it extra. Not anymore. For a limited time, you can get your previously redeemed Final Fantasy VII Remake that you got on PS Plus upgraded to the PlayStation 5 version. In addition to that, the Intermission, which is the DLC featuring Yuffie, that's a separate kind of thing. It's not really uh, attached to the remake uh, upgrade. Uh, it's 25% off for a limited time. Uh, that DLC is really good. You should play it, especially if you want to kind of bridge the gap between Final Fantasy VII Remake and whatever is coming after it. Uh, so that is available right now for a limited time. Uh, so yeah, go check that out when you get a chance. It's a really, really good, 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 good deal. Nosha is a, a single player social deduction game that launched on Switch earlier this year. Kenneth Shepard reviewed it for us uh, back in March, uh, which uh, he, he found it frustrating, but uh, actually pretty good, pretty mysterious, pretty interesting. Uh, that game is supposed to come out for PC and it was supposed to come out this year, but now it's being delayed to early 2022. And given that 2022 is next week, that could mean as early as next week, although this kind of delay would indicate it might be a little bit more than that. But anyway, if you're interested in this game, uh, it's going to be backed up just a little bit, but it will be on PC soon enough. Uh, Treyarch, one of the uh, studios that Activision Blizzard owns uh, that does a lot of Call of Duty stuff, released an interesting statement this week uh, over on their Twitter account. And they say, as we look ahead to 2022, we felt like it was important to share a few thoughts and then a longer statement, which I will read in full right now. Quote, our goal as a studio is to make awesome games for the world to enjoy. Having the privilege to pursue that endeavor is made possible because of Treyarch's people. We are a studio comp comprised of smart, talented, world-class creative professionals who seek to perform at our best. Our culture has no room for sexism, harassment, racism, bigotry, discrimination, or bullying. As we move forward, providing a safe, diverse, inclusive working environment so that all may thrive will be our highest priority. Everyone at Treyarch is drawn to game development because we possess a deep love for the artistry of video games and the magic that can create moments that matter. This is a moment that matters, and it starts by being better, end quote. Now, Treyarch probably made this statement because their culture up to this point has had room for sexism, harassment, racism, bigotry, discrimination, and bullying. Um, they are one of the many studios embroiled in the overarching 
continued struggle to get clarity on the uh, um, labor malpractices that are happening all over the all over the industry, of course, but also very specifically with Activision Blizzard. So the statement is definitely strange, but it was apparently, according to several people on Twitter, directed and posted by women within the Treyarch, uh, Treyarch infrastructure. So, you know, this does seem like corporate posturing, uh, but it was also apparently fought for and won by a group of women within Treyarch. So take that with a grain of salt could be a sign that things might be getting better. But, you know, um, we're still going to keep our eye on Treyarch and other Activision Blizzard properties. Anyway, we're going to keep our eye on it. <laughs> um, finally, uh, a really interesting story that you can definitely go check out more on fanby.com. Uh, but X Bioware animator uh, posted on uh, his Twitter account. His name is Jonathan Cooper. Uh, do you remember that Sonic Chronicles game, The Dark Brotherhood? It was a Bioware created RPG RPG game in the Sonic universe that came out for uh, for the DS in 2008. Anyway, it had a really cool 2D intro uh, cinematic that they actually cut from the game. Well, Jonathan Cooper posted the 2D animation in full on his Twitter account. We've posted it over on fanbyte.com. You can go check it out. Uh, it's really interesting. This is such a bizarre moment in time from the Bioware folks. Uh, kind of one of their lost games. I feel like no one really talks about it anymore because it was kind of divisive, but still, it's such an interesting game, and uh, that's a really cool cinematic that got cut. You can go check it out right now. Um, that's really it for all the top stories, uh, but let's talk about the top five stories of the year. What a year this has been. We thought 2020 was crazy, but 2021, in a lot of ways, was even stranger. There have been hundreds of individual stories that stood out to me, but I really wanted to highlight five in particular that shaped 2021. Starting with number five, it's Elden Ring. Yeah, okay. It's kind of strange to say one of the biggest stories of 2021 is the existence of a game, period, but especially a game that's coming out in a couple months. It's not even going to come out in 2021. It's going to come out in 2022. Uh, but it was only a year ago, if you recall, that FromSoft's newest dark fantasy epic was shrouded in mystery and controversy. Had COVID done irreversible damage on the game's workflow? Did George R. R. Martin pass his curse of unfinished business to the game he helped world build? We just didn't have a lot of answers to these questions. We didn't know how the game would play. We didn't know how open world it would be. We didn't know what kind of vibe it would have. We didn't even know if it was technically a Souls game. We just knew it was a FromSoft game. We knew that George R. R. Martin had a hand in it, and we knew it was coming at some point. Earlier in the year, we finally got trailers. We finally got an announcement. We finally got to see what kind of game it is. And in fact, we actually even got our hands on it. Uh, not only uh, did we get our hands on it, but we learned through that hands-on experience that the game is amazing. It rules. And we can't wait for it to come out in February. Um, it's one of the most anticipated titles that I can remember in a very long time, maybe with the exception of something like uh, Breath of the Wild, and of course, Breath of the Wild 2, which is also rumored to be coming out next year. Um, so that would be two huge games for the price of one, if so to speak. But Elden Ring, really, I cannot recall the internet being on fire for a game quite like this in a very long time. And I think we finally got our thirst quenched with information 
with hands-on details. And of course, people went totally gaga over all of the interesting lore pieces that we were able to pick up on during the preview. And that's that's why I think it's one of 2021's biggest stories, because it's something that was shrouded in mystery. We didn't know what was going on with it. And then suddenly we knew everything, everything there is to know about this uh, very exciting game. So that's my number five story of the year. My number four story of the year is actually an amalgam of stories, and that's going to be a theme for the rest of this segment. Uh, it's going to be Nintendo's weird year, and I think Nintendo's had a very strange year, and I want to start off on the hardware side. We saw the release of the Nintendo OLED, which replaced the old screen on the Nintendo Switch with a brand new OLED model. It's a little bit bigger, it's a little bit thicker, it's a little bit heavier, and it looks a lot better than previous iterations of the Nintendo Switch. But of course, it was kind of strange because we all thought because of very well-reported rumors uh, by Bloomberg and others that we were going to get a Switch Pro, meaning we were going to get a piece of hardware with actually a more powerful uh, GPU, CPU, uh, processing power, all of that stuff in order to provide for some of the more intensive games that we will probably see later in the Switch's console generation. Instead, what we got was cool, but it's certainly not more powerful. In fact, it's just the same kind of hardware, except that the screen is nice. And now there's an Ethernet port directly in the uh, dock itself. And I don't know, a couple bells and whistles that are a little bit better than the previous iteration of the Switch. But it's no pro. It's nothing that's going to stand up to the, uh, the rigors of Breath of the Wild 2 or Splatoon 3, two games that look awfully intensive in terms of their uh, computing demand, uh, but we have no sign yet that the Nintendo Switch Pro is something that's going to come out. Um, and in fact, it was in Nintendo's best interest to act like the Pro is never going to happen so they could sell this OLED. I'm speculating here, okay? I want to make that clear. This is this is just total speculation. I have nothing to back this up. I have no real sense of how Nintendo does its business. But to me, to my eyes, to my business eyes, what this looked like is there was, you know, shortage of parts, which I'll get to, by the way, in this segment. There was a shortage of parts that led Nintendo to need to uh, postpone the Nintendo Switch Pro. Let's just act like that's a given, that the Nintendo Switch Pro is something that's coming. A more powerful Switch is underway. I believe the reports are probably true, and I believe it's coming at some point. But let's say that they knew that they would have to delay this thing. And so they just wanted to act like it didn't exist. And because they probably had revenue goals set up for 2021 that were loftier than the software goals were actually going to allow for, they decided, hey, let's just slap a brand new screen on Nintendo Switch sell these things, let's see if it does any better. And it sold really well. And, and listen, they got me too, because I got one and it's a huge upgrade over a launch switch. It's really nice. It makes all these games that I used to only play docked look really good in handheld mold, mold, mode. And I play it a lot more. Metroid Dread looks amazing in handheld mode. And it's like the perfect companion game. And they released you know, within days of each other. So I get it. I mean, it, it makes sense that they would release this, but it's also very strange that they act like the pro doesn't exist in their roadmap when I think it probably clearly does. But again, it's in their best interest to act like it doesn't exist. Also, their two biggest games for Switch that have come out since Breath of the Wild and uh, 
and Mario Odyssey, uh, Super uh, Smash Brothers Ultimate and Animal Crossing New Horizons. They're both done with updates. We got DLC for Animal Crossing. We we got a big 2.0 update for, for that game as well. And we got DLC characters for Smash Ultimate. But that's it. Those games are done. They're not going to be updated anymore. It's an interesting thing. Nintendo really wants these big, big experiences for their players. And they want to sell hardware every few years. And they want to refresh their library with these big first-party titles. But they don't want to... They don't actually want to support them for more than a year or two, which is interesting. I mean, Animal Crossing is a perfect service game, but they don't really treat it like that. And I don't know. It may just be a thing that they've just accepted about themselves. But for all the things that could live as a service game, Animal Crossing is absolutely one of those things. And it doesn't. And we won't know if it ever will, because it will be probably many years before a new Animal Crossing game comes out. Anyway, I just think it's an odd year that Nintendo had. They had some highs. Again, I think the OLED is cool. I think we got a a new 2D Metroid Dread, a new 2D Metroid in Metroid Dread, I should say. And it was good. And that's all really special. But it's just kind of a strange year for Nintendo. My number three story of the year is, is shortages. That's it, shortages. And ostensibly delays. That's really what I mean. It's shortages and delays. COVID-19 is still wreaking havoc on the entire world, especially here in the United States. And uh, now the Omicron variant is here and it's doing uh, and it's doing really staggering numbers everywhere because no one is taking care of business, especially in the federal government. And it's wreaked havoc on businesses, right? Especially in the games industry where manufacturing uh, chips and processors and other things are obviously a really big part of hardware manufacturing. And it's also affected uh, things like software development too. So this is a little bit less about the software side and more on the hardware side, but we've seen big delays. We've seen the Nintendo Switch Pro basically go from being something that we've all but confirmed from Nintendo itself to something that Nintendo is vehemently denying that it exists probably directly because of these chip shortages. We've seen PlayStation 5s not be able to meet their demand. We've seen some shortages on the Xbox side. We've also seen things like the Steam Deck, one of uh, uh, one of the most exciting announcements from this past year uh, was the existence of the Steam Deck, a handheld, uh, basically a portable computer that has the entire Steam library on it that you can also put. It's also basically just a Linux machine. Um, and after pre-orders went up, they almost immediately said, hey, this is going to get delayed. And it got delayed and then it got delayed again. Now there's a big question mark about when the Steam Deck is even coming out. It's coming out in waves. Uh, the same thing happened to the Playdate, a really interesting handheld with the crank that you might have seen. A lot of us here at Fanbyte are super excited about the Playdate. It's got the crank. And it's got a really cool model where basically you just buy the piece of hardware and then they send you the games. It's like a season pass. Uh, and that got delayed as well. Um, and a lot of different pieces of hardware have been delayed and moved because of COVID, because of these shortages. Um, and that's one of the biggest stories of the year. It's created scarcity. There is also some, I think, forced scarcity happening as well. Some manipulative scarcity, but also legitimate shortages that are causing a lot of delays with pieces of hardware that uh, folks are excited about. Um, I think the Switch is the 
biggest casualty, but of course we won't know that until the full postmortem drops on Bloomberg or something in a couple of years once the Switch Pro has actually come out. I'm obsessed with this story. I'm sorry. I know I might be the only one still, but I still feel like it's a, a very, very interesting piece of the 2021 puzzle. The number two story of 2021 is the advent of NFTs and blockchain in the game space. Clearly, NFTs and blockchain have been around in various forms, but no, at no time was it as prevalent in the game space as it was this year. Um, and once NFTs in the form of JPEGs that you could post on Twitter and say that you own and the blockchain has a record and says, yep, you own this JPEG, even though literally anybody can just copy and paste it and uh, save it to their hard drive and then, you know, whatever, you know, you know how I feel about NFTs. We did an episode on it a few, uh, a few weeks ago. You can go check out that conversation in full. Uh, it was a very cool conversation and I learned a lot, but I still think NFTs are really silly. Um, not only does blockchain likely lead to more environmental catastrophe because of the energy it spends to mine things like cryptocurrency and things like that. Um, and even though there is a movement to move blockchain and NFT into a more eco-friendly environment, it's still unregulated. It's an unregulated market that leads to the creation of some of the ugliest art I've ever seen. And so how does it factor into NFTs and blockchain? Well, there was a, a rush, almost a gold rush for big companies like EA, Ubisoft and Square, uh, Squaresoft, excuse me, not Squaresoft, Square Enix to release statements that basically said, hey, we're getting into the space. We think this space is really cool. Stay tuned, which is more or less a rallying cry to a bunch of sh uh, shareholders and investors who are probably looking out for the latest fads in many different markets, including speculative markets. And they wanted to probably just get people excited and get their stock prices to go up. And in some cases it worked and in some cases it backfired. But that said, it does feel like a lot of these game companies are going to try to put their money where their mouth is and start putting NFTs in video games and using blockchain to basically uh, set the, this ownership uh, of these particular items within video games. So how would it work? Well, you would get some sort of in-game item that only you would own. And there would be an auction marketplace where you would pay real money, uh, possibly in the form of cryptocurrency, to buy an NFT to put in your video game. So you get uh, a specific charm to put on your gun or... Uh, Let's say GTA Online did it, which seems like a place that's probably going to do it at some point. You get unique items that go in your apartment and you're the only one who can own it. And there's a record, a ledger of you owning it. That's how it would work. Well, Ubisoft started doing this with their latest Ghost Recon game, and the results have been very mixed. There haven't been that many NFTs sold. Um, it seems to be kind of a clusterfuck, and uh, there's a lot of speculation that this was actually done in order to basically say, hey, the market spoke in this game tanked, and we can basically write this off as a weird little crypto experiment or something. Anyway, that's speculation. But I don't think this is going away. I think NFTs and blockchain are something that uh, there's a lot of moralizing about right now. And I understand that 
because there is a lot of there's there's a lot at stake. It feels like it feels like if everyone starts to get on the the, the trolley, so to speak, of uh, NFTs and blockchain, it means that crypto is going to take off again. And if crypto takes off again, it means that more and more people are going to probably start crypto farms. And if more crypto farms happen, then electricity consumption is going to go way, way, way up, which means that our climate crisis is only going to intensify. And I understand that it feels like there's a lot at stake. I also know that I think moralizing about it is not going to actually do anything in the face of the people who are already supporting this. They aren't thinking about this in moral terms. They're thinking about it in total capitalistic terms, which is why I don't want the NFT blockchain stuff to actually take root because it's turning games into this capitalist business. And of course, hey, it already is really capitalist and shitty, but we're trying to actually change those things to make them less shitty. And NFTs and blockchain are just a way to basically turn all this shit up to 11. And, you know, and I'll talk about this in a second. That's that's called foreshadowing. But I think the advent of NFTs and blockchain are going to lead to a lot more executives with less attachment to uh, moral and ethical leadership taking space at these executive meetings, at these boards, greenlighting a lot of stuff that doesn't actually move the needle in terms of uh, the artistry or the fun factor of video games and instead turns everything into a job. NFTs will be a grind that we'll have to get get psyched about. It's it's not just something we'll be able to ignore like a lot of people are saying that we'll be able to. I believe it'll be ingrained into the game itself because I think there will be demand if people really lean into this. There will be demand for those things, these NFTs, these specific uh, gameplay enhancements that will get through the blockchain to be part of the fabric of the game. We've already seen that with Peter Molyneux's game, which has raised more than $54 million in land space that's been sold. It's called Legacy. Irony of ironies. So I don't know. I think it is one of the biggest stories of the year, and it would be the biggest story of the year by far if it weren't for my number one story, which is labor. And that's cheating because labor encompasses everything, right? But I want to talk about specific aspects of labor uh, that, of course, did not start with the Activision Blizzard controversy, controversy, but were completely blown up into a critical mass by the Activision Blizzard stuff. Now, if you recall back in August, a lawsuit was filed against Activision Blizzard uh, from the state of California, uh, basically alleging that Activision Blizzard has taken uh, taken a very, very clear path to creating a uh, a very toxic environment for a lot of people uh, at their workplace, uh, creating a lot of pay disparities between men and women, um, not hiring a diverse workforce, uh, and many other things, including uh, more serious allegations of sexual misconduct and harassment. Um, and we knew that this was a problem for a long time that was brewing. If you know anything about the inner workings of Activision Blizzard, this is a company that has had these kind of issues brewing for a long time, but now they kind of blew up for the world to see. And of course, Bobby Kotick eventually was found to have known about a lot of these things way ahead of time and was pressured into resigning. Of course, he didn't as of this recording, and his board has not removed him as of this recording, uh, which would actually uh, help a lot of things, but... They're not going to do it, it seems like. Anyway, 
this seemed to just shine even more of a spotlight on labor abuses in the games industry. Of course, Ubisoft, uh, EA, many places, especially in AAA companies, but also in smaller indies as well, have dealt with misconduct for many, many years. Uh, uh, cultivating a bro culture, this kind of frat culture within video games that we've all talked about. Uh, Riot Games has obviously been guilty of it too and dealt with their own issues that I think are still unresolved as of this point. And this has really been one of the biggest stories of 2021, and it's going to be, I think, the launch point of some very interesting things in 2022, because we've seen, especially toward the end of the year, with the uh, a better Activision Blizzard uh, King folks uh, that have banded together, um, they have now demanded to unionize, and they have started some processes in order to get that started. This was something that we kind of expected with the riot blowups about two years ago, but we didn't get a lot of movement there. But now with Activision Blizzard and all their issues, we've seen a step toward that direction. We've seen Ubisoft employees get more vocal about the issues that are happening at their company. Uh, just as Yves Guillemot, their CEO, has only done some things to correct these things. Not enough, say the Ubisoft people, but some things. Um... So ABK has demanded that that they form a union. And Vodio Workers United, which we, which we had on the show last week, they're a small indie. They didn't have any of these issues, but they wanted to unionize and they became the first recognized official video games union in North America. And that is a big move. Right at the end of the year, that is a massive story. And it's kind of an exclamation point on this labor story. Because there isn't a bigger thing in games than the treatment of its workers. And I think finally, knock on wood, we are finally moving in a direction where workers realize that they can organize and move in unison to make things better for themselves. And I do think executives are starting to see the power in that kind of organization. And I think 2022 is going to be a big year. And I think more indies are going to do it and start the start the real process. But I think we're going to get our first major AAA studio to unionize next year. I really do. I don't know if it'll be a, a voluntary recognition. It might be a huge protracted fight. But that's one of my predictions for next year. In fact, next week, we're going to have a bunch of predictions of big stories from next year. And that's going to be one of mine. And I think labor and all of the stories within. Uh, that's my big story of 2021. And I think we're just getting started. That is going to do it for this week's episode. I want to thank my uh, my very excellent producer, Paul Tamayo, for putting this episode together and putting all my episodes together all year. Um, he, this show would be nothing without Paul's incredible help and contribution. So thank you, Paul, for all your hard work this week and this year. Uh, if you want to follow Paul on Twitter, you can do so at Pauly Mayo and please listen to the optional podcast. It's the excellent podcast right here on the Fanbyte network that, uh, Paul hosts with Cam Brewster. It's an amazing show. It's a great way to, uh, wind down. I find at the end of a long day, the optional podcast, uh, it's a games podcast for the rest of us. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, that's, uh, you can follow me. I, I almost forgot about myself. You can follow me, 
uh, at Floppy Adult on Twitter if you wish to do so. Uh, you can follow uh, Fanbyte at Fanbyte Media because uh, we don't have the a- at Fanbyte yet. Maybe in 2022. Let's manifest that. Jack, well, I guess you're not in charge anymore. But you know what, Jack? You owe us. Give it. Give us at Fanbyte anyway. Yeah, we're manifesting. Uh, all of our podcasts can be found at uh, podcastnet.org or fanbyte.com slash podcasts. Uh, we just redid our website. If you want to go give it a look, Check it out. Let us know if you see any issues. Let us know if you uh, can think of any improvements that you would want to see on the site. Um, We know it's a work in progress. There are some things that are missing. There are some things that broke, but we're making some really good headway on those fixes. Overall, it just looks like a way better website than it used to. So we're very happy about that. Uh, But if you have feedback, uh, you can drop it on Twitter. The best way to drop it is actually on our Discord, which is fanbyte.casa. That is fanbyte.casa. Uh, not only can you just you know tell us what's going on with the website, but you'll also find a lot of really cool people talking about video games and wrestling and F1 and food and pets. There's a pets channel. It's the happiest place on earth. It's great. Uh, so yeah, fanbyte.casa is our Discord. Um, thank you so much for hanging out this year. It it will. Uh, it, this is the last official episode of 2021. Uh, we'll be back next week with a predictions, a 2022 predictions episode of the show. Uh, but yes, this is the last episode of thanks for the knowledge for 2021. I want to thank all of my listeners for making it such an incredible year. Uh, you can of course help us out a lot by giving us a like and a subscribe and a good review, uh, over on your, uh, podcast catcher of choice, but of course, definitely over at Apple podcasts. It's a really huge help. So please do it if you, uh, if you wish, uh, anyway, (laughs) that's about it. Uh, um, until next week, folks, you're welcome. Thank you.